And now, from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics and CNN, The Axe Files, with your host, David Axelrod. Kazir Khan became an instant national figure in the summer of 2016 when he and his wife appeared at the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia. They told the story of their son, Captain Homayun Khan, who was a hero uh, who saved uh, many lives and gave his own uh, in Iraq in 2004. As Gold Star parents, they talked about their son, but also their love for a country they had come to adopt as their own. He came by the Institute of Politics last week to talk about his life, his son, the America he believes in, and his moving book, An American Family, a Memoir of Hope and Sacrifice. Kazir Khan, it's a great honor to, uh, to have you here, to have you at the Institute of Politics, uh, and welcome. I, um, there's so much to talk about, uh, about where we are as a country about what you're doing now in advance of these uh, midterm elections. But your own story uh, is so extraordinary and so, in some ways, American uh, that I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to ask you about that. And for, for those who haven't had the, uh, the, the opportunity of reading your book, um, talk a little bit about how you grew up in Pakistan and how that shaped who you are. If I may um, say a couple of things. One is uh, when I was invited by the Institute to come and, uh, uh, and speak here, I was thrilled that I'll be sitting across the table from you. Thank you. And I wish to pay tribute to you and Susan and your family for the service that you have provided to this nation at a great cost cost, comfort of the family, separation, and uh, we are grateful. It is that example that is missing today. And I wanted to take this moment to remind us that it is leaders like that, those who serve the country with great sacrifice, uh, are to be admired and appreciated so that we may follow in their footsteps. So thank you. Well, I, I deeply, deeply appreciate that. Um, right I'm humbled by it because I'm sitting across from someone who made the the ultimate sacrifice of the loss of a child in service of our country. And um, having part of my service was to have the honor of meeting young men and women who are serving their country in dangerous places. And uh, I've, I never I'll, I'll never forget it. And so let me return. Let me return the compliment and the appreciation Um We'll talk more about about all of that, but um, let me uh, uh, let's go back to the beginning because um, it's been quite a journey from uh, your early days in Pakistan to uh, to this moment. Uh, talk to me about how how you grew up, about your family, about those influences that shaped you. Well, I, I am uh, number one uh, in the family, uh, s- siblings of 10 altogether, a modest family. Uh, I grew up, uh, I was in, in middle school when we had first martial law in Pakistan. Uh, my task was to make sure that our ration card is renewed every week. And so I used to go and stand in lines and wonder why can't we just go to a store and we have the money and buy the food? Why do we have to get a stamp by the martial law administrator uh, giving us the permission to buy our food? But I could not find the answer. Second time, I was in law school when the second martial law was, uh, was imposed in Pakistan. And that is when I saw uh, journalists being killed. Uh, I was watching the procession. There was a baton charge, and I cannot shake that uh, that uh, uh, that scene. That all journalists were standing under a shed of a store, all together with their cameras in hand and snapping pictures, and all of them. 
and the procession was moving on the street, and I saw uh, that uh, the uh, uh, the baton charge was ordered, and then shooting was ordered immediately. And the police, instead of shooting towards the mob, they were they immediately turned towards the flock of journalists that were standing under the shade of the shed of the uh, shop. And I wondered, why are they being killed? Why? Because several of them fell. During that martial law, the newspapers were were, uh, uh, press, their press was burnt and the newspaper was shut down. And a few days later, the newspaper would be released to publish uh, and then we will see a picture of the martial law administrator on the front page with the full medals and praises of uh, uh, of his what uh, uh, this martial law administrator is doing. So I grew up in that circumstances, where one day we have the liberty, we have the rights, and the second day we cannot even buy the food, and we cannot read the newspaper, and we cannot hear the. Uh, reporters on radio or on television unless they were praising the martial art. Your story uh, uh, about the the journalists uh, is particularly powerful this week when we're we're considering the the apparent assassination of a Saudi journalist who uh, had the temerity to from a distance because he had to leave to challenge uh, the, the, uh, the the Saudi prince uh, the Saudi royal family. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I'm a former journalist. Um, we so, in this country, sometimes take for granted uh, how fundamental that right of a free press is uh, and how important it is to a functioning democracy to have that free press. But you must have a special appreciation for that, having witnessed what you witnessed. Yes. Um, and... Now I understand, after having read the world history and having observed how these authoritarians and dictators proceed to manipulate the public and people, and we can draw our own conclusion and connect the dots here, uh, their common theme throughout the world, and now I can speak with uh, some clarity that uh, that is the first step the authoritarians and dictators and uh, strong men uh, do, and that is to malign the press, shut down the press. They do no good. They are enemy of the people. Uh, The second thing they do, and this is a tradition of most of the martial law administrators, most of the dictators, is that these judges are no good. I will appoint my own judges they do not know how to dispense justice. I know under my order, the justices will be appointed, judges will be appointed, and they have done uh, throughout the world. Uh, uh, it is under those circumstances that I find myself in second year of law school, and uh, I took a course, uh, Constitutions of the World. Four constitutions were, were uh, in the syllabus, Constitution of Soviet Union. Most Americans probably do not recall what Soviet Union was, but I studied it. I studied its downfall as well and the role that United States played and that they do not, they have not forgotten that downfall of Soviet Union. So Constitution of Soviet Union, Germany, and of course Magna Carta, and the Constitution of United States. There was no textbook, but the loose materials which I got from the, and I narrated that story in detail in my in my book. Uh, when I got the materials, I traveled by a school by university bus and brought it to my door, placed it on the table, and the my eyes wandered to the very top page of those materials, which said Declaration of Independence of the United States of America. I was straddled by looking at the world declaration of independence. Could this be possible? Who are these people that are declaring their independence? And I urge entire America, I 
I urge every American to read the declaration that embodies the spirit of this nation that they declared in 1772-74, whichever the date is, uh, declared the Declaration of Independence. And I looked at the ear of the Declaration of Independence said, how come rest of the world had to endure the colonization for another 200 years? Because Pakistan got its independence in 1947. I read the declaration, all 1,238 words of it. I did not count it then, but I have counted <laughs> since. Um, amazing grievances listed in, 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 in that document. But that uh, uh, created an image of this nation, of this country. Then I did not have the courage or the strength to dream that one day I'll be able to be part of this great nation. So those were the formidable days and readings. Then I read the articles. I Now I understood why Article 1, the Congress, why Office of the President is in Article 2, Judiciary, Article 3. Now I understand the scheme of those Article 1, Article 2, Article 3 also. That is how when a civilized nation gains its independence under those circumstances narrated in Declaration of Independence, that that is how we will live our life as a free nation. Yes. Uh, and... Um, undoubtedly, you've read all the, the the painstaking debates that went into the creation of of uh, that document, the Constitution, and all of the nuances that were considered and thrashed out. Uh, extraordinary an extraordinary legacy uh, that we have. Uh, before we get into the substance of that, I just want to take you back a little bit further because. Uh, you know, you perhaps modestly left out an important part of your story, which is how uh, unusual it was for you to make the journey you made from uh, what was uh, significant poverty uh, to getting your education and then pursuing a law degree. You, you spent a great uh, deal of time in your youth with your grandfather who was a great influence on you. Tell me about, about him. Well, we um, lived very modest, modestly, uh, did not have electricity or running water, so the entertainment that I had every night was his company. He would come uh, before uh, I would fall asleep to my uh, bedside. He would sit there and he would narrate uh, a story or uh, would tell... Um, uh, what had taken place during the day or ask me some questions and all that. So his stories have had uh, uh, an amazing impact on me. In, um, uh, um, and not, not just in uh, Urdu, but, but in Persian, in, in, uh, in, in several languages. Yes, he was, he was an avid uh, uh, reader of Rumi and Rumi's writings and... Uh, so he used to narrate those in Persian language, and uh, uh, that has uh, taught you English as well. Uh, as English as well, English became my second language, and uh, and it has since then. Uh, but those were the formidable, humble, and modest days uh, uh, spending time with him and learning from his company and his. Uh, and and, and his there wisdom. were those in your family who were bewildered as to once you got a higher education that you'd go on and get a law education as well. Why did you decide to do that? Yes. Um, uh, when I was uh, completing my BA, uh, I could see the struggle that lawyers have launched in Pakistan against the military dictatorship, that they had become the leaders uh, of the nation and uh, towards the freedom from the from the martial law and from the dictatorships of the of the police state and uh, so that influenced uh, uh, my decision making that I want to study something and enable myself so that uh, uh, someday I'll be able to uh, to help others and uh, uh, it is that at the foundation that uh, that uh, 
um, took me to law college and then to one of the things that touched me about your uh, your your college years and and earlier was how how you adapted to not having the resources to buy your book so you'd sit in book, the bookstore and they'd let you read the book in the bookstore um, so you were determined. Yeah, lack of resources is, is, is no excuse not to pursue what you're passionate about. And uh, uh, I certainly, because of uh, lack of resources, were never, uh, uh, never a hindrance, and it uh, never had been a hindrance. Tell me about uh, your decision to come here and to study. First, you, you went to Dubai. Yes. Um, tell, tell me about that sequence of events that led you to come here. Yeah, after law school, I passed the bar and uh, was licensed. And uh, through the recommendation of one of my law professor, uh, he recommended that uh, if I am looking for employment and looking to make uh, uh, um, life a little better, uh, then practicing in the district courts of Punjab uh, without any resources or recommendations or family influence, uh, I uh, he recommended that there is an employment in Dubai and uh, I should apply, which I did, and I was accepted. Um, and I n- did not know what who it was and what it was. Uh, it turned out to be an American oil company that had opened its office, and they needed a administrator in the office to to run the show of the local personnel and local operation. Um, So I winded up there, um, uh, again, without much resources. Yeah, you really struggled when you got there at first. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I underestimated the cost of Dubai then, and uh, with a few rupees in my pocket, I, I purchased the ticket and and got to Dubai, and uh, uh, I did not know where to go and where to, to to stay. I got there on Friday. The office did not open up until Monday, and I had two days to spend. So I talked to a cab driver who was uh, very helpful, and he allowed me to sleep in his two-bedroom uh, place, and uh, which had uh, no furniture and uh, <laughs> just the bare floor and the door. So I spent two nights there um, uh, thinking how, still how grateful I was that I was looking forward to Monday. And, you, Monday. and, and what was your experience when you, when, you, when you showed up Monday and what, what were the uh, revelations now, that you had there? Now I am meeting America in my life first time, and uh, I show up there. I was, of course, exhausted. I couldn't sleep, didn't have money to eat. So, but anyway, I show up to to the and I narrate that uh, in the book yes. in great detail. Um, I introduce myself to the receptionist and Margaret. She says, uh, "Oh." Alan is waiting for you, and uh, and uh, let me let him know. So she gets up and goes and tells uh, uh, my soon-to-be first boss, Alan Crowell, and Alan walks out and shakes my hand and brings me to his office, and he said, sit. And he has piles of files and things in his office, and... Uh, and uh, he begins to explain my task would be and why we are here and what a short amount of time we have to get the operation going full time and this and this. And then he looks at me caref- uh, with with uh, uh, with the amazing uh, in, intent and, and concentration. He said, Kieser, you look tired. Where have you been sleeping? I, I laughed and I said I had been I have rented a, a room from a, a cab driver and I've been he said you don't look too well. Uh, he picks up the phone and he calls somebody and he speaks to to person on the other side and then he begins to explain that we need to do this and we need to do this and this. And about fifteen minutes later, a lady walks into his office and uh, I look at her and she extends her hand to me. She said, I'm Lisa Crowell. He had called his wife and 
told her in, 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 in a whisper that why it is urgent and important that we arrange accommodation for Kizar. First time. Generosity, compassion of America, I am faced with it. Um, they say, okay, let's go, Alan. And she said, Alan gets up and says, Kizer, come, let's go. Uh, I said, where are we going? She said, um, we have a place for you to rest. I said, I don't have a place to rest. Uh, and I didn't want to take them to that humble place where I was staying for the last two nights. And he said, no, come. So I followed them and we go to get in the car and then go to a building a few blocks from there in um, Dubai. And uh, uh, we take the elevator and go to uh, the floor where my where this, this place was. And uh, Lisa opens the door and we walk in. And uh, it's a beautiful one-bedroom apartment. And Lisa is showing me there's a refrigerator and there is cattle for your tea. And then she opens the fridge door. And I'm in total awe of their generosity, of their kindness. Without me uttering a word, seeking help, uh, extending such a, uh, 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 such a generous help. Uh, she said, she opens the door, she says, oh, there's bread and the butter and jam and all that, just in case if you need uh, something. And uh, uh, and then she walks and she said, this is your bedroom and this is your bathroom. I had never seen <laughs> that many pillows on the bed before. <laughs> It is, it is that generosity. I am my first day um, talking to an American. Since then, that moment, that incident has left such an impression on my soul, on my heart. And then you got uh, a job in Texas. Yes. I wanted to complete my education because that was the instruction my grandfather has given me, that a person is not complete unless his education or her education is complete. And uh, I wanted to pursue the law degree. I wanted to pursue the further education. And uh, generally, the trend was that everyone with means was going to London to get a Bharat law after completing the law degree, basic law degree in Pakistan. But I... Uh, I had read Declaration of Independence. American spirit had touched my heart and my soul, and I wanted to come to the United States and study here. Uh, so I worked there and saved some money, and then we finally wind up in, uh, in, in, in Houston uh, because uh, there was the connection of the company, mm -hmm. the oil company, and the Houston may have a little better employment possibility for me. Uh, so I came a few days in advance to rent a place. We rented a one-bedroom apartment in Houston for $200 a month rent. And uh, a few days later, Ghazala and both kids came. I went to receive them, brought them uh, home, and took their suitcases inside the apartment and closed the door. This is second time I am touched by American generosity and decency, and uh, and um, so the so there is knock at the door and said who it could be we don't know anybody appears I look open the door and I look outside there is an elderly lady and she introduces herself she said I am Paulette I'm your neighbor. I saw little kids. You have two kids? I said, yes. Uh, where are they? I said, they are sleeping. They were tired, so they have, we have put them to bed. And she has two sacks of things in her hands. And she said, oh, I brought this for you and for the kids. I said, what is this? And she said, oh, no, please. I 
took it from her and placed them on the table, but I wanted to thank her first. And she said, you're our neighbor. Don't worry if you need anything, let me know and all. And then I closed the door and I look in the in those uh, uh, grocery bags and there was water, and milk and orange juice and cookies and bread. Uh, I looked at Ghazala and uh, I said, we, we want to raise our children here. And she answered, she said, you know, we used to pray that uh, we want to make our life better. We have come to the place. And, uh, and I, 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 the power of these incidences in my life is such that even today, whenever I narrate them, whenever I think of them, I begin to lose composure because of the power of that, uh, that compassion that was shown to me, the kindness that was expressed towards this stranger. Paulette did not ask us in today's environment. I want to narrate this story as loudly as possible. She did not ask us, where have you come from? What language you speak? What faith you practice? It was just pure decency, compassion towards your neighbor. And, uh, and so these were the formidable events in our life incidences and there are just so many we have narrated some in our book but yes. there are so many of them that we have faced and we continue to continue to face so captain himayun khan grew up under those circumstances Something you you went up, you went up to harvard uh you you got into we refer to harvard as the university of chicago of the east here <laughs> but yes. um you you got into harvard law school and uh, did a, a master's program. You, you had, it was your second master's. Um, and then you, you moved to Maryland. And uh, before, I want to talk about your son. Before we, before we, we go there, um, did you, were you politically oriented at the time? <laughs> I mean, were you? Uh, I, I was this much pol politically oriented. Um, President Reagan is about to give his farewell speech. I am home. And I used to work during the day and then some nights as well, but that was my night off. I intently sat in front of the television and waited for his speech to begin. And uh, that speech captured my heart, the way he expressed the city, shining, the shining city, city on, the, on hill. the hill. It has wall, but that wall has doors. Anyone with the courage and with the spirit of contribution can can walk through those 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 doors. That was the image, and that remains the image even today. That remains the image in my heart of America. And obviously, you inculcated your your children with that. A feeling as well because uh, because your son Homayun enlisted. Uh, talk to me about that and his decision to uh, to, to join the military. Yeah, um, so we were in Maryland and I was working in Washington D.C. Uh, it's not too far from uh, from my work. Um, so every time a guest would come to visit us from overseas or from. Uh, within the United States, I would always take them to show the monuments in Washington. And the most favorite monument was Jefferson Memorial. And uh, I would take them and I would ask them to read what is written, what is uh, uh, in, in, in the ceiling of, uh, of the dome. And people would read and would be inspired so after a couple of times, whenever we, I would take our guest, kids would make faces and would roll their eyes that there he goes again, taking us <laughs> back to the Jefferson Memorial. And they used to kind of imitate me without me knowing. <laughs> Ghazala would tell, <laughs> tell me that when you show people what is written on the walls of Jefferson Memorial, they also... Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, they're reenacting. They're, they're uh, yeah. reenacting, standing behind me and... Uh, 
so it was those moments that probably imprinted uh, in, on, on the hearts and minds of uh, our children and especially Himayun. He was the peacemaker, very balanced person. And, and I remember when he decided, uh, so he goes to University of Virginia and writes a wonderful essay that admits him to Hereford uh, uh, Dormitory and the R- about ROTC. ROTC, and he joins ROTC, and we have a conversation about that. And he says to me, he said, uh, I have heard you speak about public service, that uh, how, how it elevates not only the person who is serving, but uh, those who is serving, both sides are elevated to a a more dignified uh, level, and uh, it is with that determination to serve that I wish to join ROTC and I wish to continue to serve in the Army. And he used to say, uh, if you go to Army ROTC at University of Virginia today, they have a small conference room that is uh, named after Captain Himayun Khan. There is a, there is a, a, a paragraph that he had written, and uh, uh, in that paragraph, he, he talks about uh, uh, learning the lesson of public service from Thomas Jefferson, uh, that how important it is for people, uh, for democracy to, uh, uh, to be defended, and uh, democracy and the people living in democracy, under democracy, people ought to be vigilant because it requires vigilance and sacrifice. And uh, uh, so that was, that was Himayun. And he rose through the ranks, and, and in the midst of this 9-11 happens, and, and we became engaged in Iraq. He, he got sent to Iraq. Uh, what, what were you and, and your wife uh, thinking when he went? Obviously, you felt pride. Did you have fear as well? Yes, uh, as, as, uh, as any, any parent, we were concerned about his well-being and... Uh, uh, but he used to assure us that, uh, look, I am, I am responsible for my unit's safety, and not only my unit, but uh, uh, everyone else around me. So I am very safe. I don't want you to worry, and I'll make sure I take care of uh, myself and uh, my unit and the people that we protect in, in Iraq. Uh, I remember the conversation he had on the last Mother's Day with Ghazala, and she kept saying to him, I don't want you to be hero. I want you to protect yourself. I want you to be safe. I want you back here. And I asked Ghazala what was his answer, and she, she told me that he kept saying to me that, look, I am responsible for others' safety, and my unit and my entire base depends on, on me uh, therefore, I am very safe. I don't want you to worry about. But, uh, um, but we were concerned. We were concerned. And uh, you wrote wrenchingly about that day, that fateful day, uh, in which um, he, uh, he he, despite everything, was a hero. Despite your wife's admonition, he fulfilled his duty as as a leader and what was interesting as i listened to you describe it you you he talked not just about his responsibility to uh his unit but also to the people of iraq who he was sent to protect and that's really what came into play both of those impulses came into play that day when he lost his life yeah there were about 300 iraqis at the door at that moment on Tuesday, June 8th, 8 o'clock in the morning, we were told, we are told by his commanders and the people that were at, at the door at that time. And Iraqis sent us, even now they sent pictures of the family and letters and, and uh, telling us this story. And uh, so there were approximately 300 Iraqis, Muslims. At the door, at the camp. At the camp, camp wars. Door, yeah. Coming in to do the camp service and uh, uh, there were scores of uh, U.S. Army soldiers on the other side of the wall having breakfast, uh, getting ready for the day's uh, operation. And uh, he had started a program 
where uh, instead of importing uh, people to work in the camp or provide services, uh, that was his initiation. His commanders have liked it and the locals have liked it, that why don't we employ local people to come and do this work inside the camp that will help the community, that will uh, establish the goodwill of America in the community. And so it did. uh, so this is 8 o'clock in the morning. He's not due uh, uh, at his post till 11 o'clock, but he comes as was his habit, we are told, that he would come at the entry and exit time to make sure that the operation runs smoothly. And uh, he sees a very fast-coming car towards the gate. and uh, He knows what is taking place on the inside, scores of U.S. soldiers getting ready to, they're eating breakfast, getting ready for the day's event, and these Iraqis outside at the gate. He must have realized, because of his training and because of his uh, instinct, what is uh, what danger this car may be bringing. Uh, and the people that have worked in his unit, I have met them, they have come and explained to us that he could have simply pointed to us, uh, pointed us to shoot the car cab, and we could have done that, but he did not choose to do that because uh, there had been mistakes in the past that we had shot innocent people that were lost or were coming for uh, carelessly towards the camp. Um, so he tells his uh, uh, his staff that is at the gate. Uh, hit the ground, and then uh, he could have done exactly the same thing himself, uh, but he must have realized the danger that if he did that, uh, the car would ram, and that's why they, they the reason they chose 8 o'clock in the morning was because there were scores of U.S. soldiers on the other side of the wall. Uh, the damage he may have assessed in his mind. So he, instead of sitting down, he extends his hand and he moves towards the oncoming car. Takes about 10 steps, we are told, and uh, uh, causes this car to prematurely detonate. And um, the bomb went off and... uh, Uh, Several folks at the gate were injured, but uh, no one was killed except uh, Captain Himayun Khan. And uh, uh, we we found out that very day. Uh, Now I have met the people that uh, were there, and uh, especially a a lady. Um, There was a book signing in Washington, D.C., I, a lady walks with uh, three of her children with her and she has a picture in her hand. She greets me and at the book signing and she said, Mr. Khan, would you sign this book? I signed the book and then she shows me the pictures. Mr. Khan, you recognize this picture? And I saw that I, because I had seen it before, that was Captain Himayun Khan's unit's picture all the unit men and women standing, and he's standing with them. And she said, Mr. Khan, you see this lady? That's me. I was in his unit. And she says that uh, since we were deployed to Iraq, I used to cry literally every night, and I was so afraid, and uh, I was... I had never been overseas. I have never been at such a place. And even though I was a soldier, but still. And Captain Khan used to come every night. Me and I was rooming with with another soldier, another lady. And he used to sit and used to tell us, don't worry, I will protect you. I want you to be strong and I want you to never, never be concerned that you will not be protected, I'll protect you. And she said, Mr. Khan, I was at the gate. When this happened, all I could think at that moment was that how true he was to his words. He said that I'll protect you. He protected all of us. 
And so somewhere, somewhere in his training, in his growing up, those words of Jefferson, those conversations about the Constitution, about the service to others, about the greatness of this nation. Because I used to tell Alan Crowell's and his wife's compassion and Paulette's compassion to folks that came to visit us. And kids must have heard it. He must have heard it. That's why he was uh, so caring. He was so caring. And... Uh, uh, and this, that is why this story needs to be the reason yeah. I, I wrote this book is that uh, we need to share these uh, the goodness of America. We need to share with one another under these difficult circumstances, where we are we have, we have become so tribal that we are losing our goodness. But I am I am I am I am certain. I have felt throughout the nation in my travels. I have felt that. This is a good nation. This is its DNA is based on compassion. Its DNA is made of of respect and dignity for others, and uh, it this may be a momentary tumultuous time, a momentary anomaly, but we will get back on the right track very soon. As I um, as I listen to your words and 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 I see your gold star on your uh, lapel. Um, I, the, I have to say I was in tears myself being a father, uh, reading your words about that sense of denial you had when they called to tell you that your son had been killed. Um, and I, I just need to ask you about that, uh, and, that horrible, horrible uh, task of uh, identifying him. Yes, I um, believe me. I, I don't uh, share this with 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 very many people. Even today, sometime when I look at the back of a soldier walking airport or the street or at an event or someplace, the reflection that I feel that maybe Himayun is, is there. He'll turn around and he'll say, oh, here I am. So it is that uh, 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 in one corner I will continue to hope that uh, someday we will get to see him. But uh, um, that was the moment that uh, no parents wishes to wishes to, to go through, where you have to, uh, his body had come, was brought to the funeral home, and uh, the, uh, the loss officer and uh, one of his... Uh, a uh, captain from his unit was accompanying the coffin and I had to identify to sign it so that uh, 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 we could move forward to prepare for the funeral. And uh, um, yeah, I, I, I remember that, uh, that moment and when they lifted the front portion of the coffin and... Uh, Amazing peace on his face. I was, uh, I was thinking prior to because that would be the first and the last time since he passed uh, that there would be more damage to his face or his forehead. Uh, we were told that uh, the sharpness struck in his, uh, uh, struck him in his forehead. Uh, the left side of the forehead. I was thinking there would be more damage to his face and all that. Not at all. Not a scratch. And amazing peace. And uh, as if he was, uh, he was just resting for a while. And uh, he will, he will get up. Uh, and I, I recognize, of course, that's him. And uh, and we moved on. 
Let me ask you about you. You were you became a national figure, and uh, that was not necessary. You you couldn't have envisioned that. Um, tell me about the decision to speak at the Democratic National Convention in 2016, because that can't have been an easy decision. Yeah, uh, in December of 2015, uh, when that statement that. Uh, uh, most bigoted statement was made uh, by then candidate, then Republican candidate, that I will ban all Muslims and all Hispanics will be thrown out of here and judges do no justice and mm-hmm. women are not entitled to equal dignity and, and all of this. Uh, a newspaper reporter, uh, James King from New York, called me and uh, asked me if I have any thoughts so my first question to him was, how did you get my telephone number? And he said, Washington Post has your telephone number and your address because they have written a couple of articles. And they had done that. They had interviewed me and mm-hmm. have written a couple of articles. He said, I got it from there and named the na- person that uh, had spoken with me from Washington Post. So I, I was trying to verify that I'm speaking with a legitimate person. Uh, so I spoke with him and I gave him my thoughts and uh, what I felt and what I thought. Uh, this was taking place on one side. On the personal and private side was that after that statement, wherever we would go uh, in the family, my children's families, their friends' families with small children, birthday parties, get-togethers, and I would be invited and we would go, Ghazala and I would go. And people knew that I have practiced law and I uh, I know a little bit about the Constitution as well. And so they would bring their children, middle school, elementary school, high school children, they'll say, well, ask, ask Uncle Khan uh, if we are going to be thrown out of here. And so these kids, middle school kids, they would reach out and they would say, is this true? Are we going to be thrown out of here? Because when we go to school, we are bullied. Little girls, uh, the kids bother us and they say, oh, you will be thrown out of here. Why you do your homework? Why are you studying so hard? Uh, once he becomes the president, we are going to throw all of you out and all of this. And these are not Muslim kids. These are just the regular, but they look a little different. A little brownish and a little uh, uh, not so white. And uh, uh, so I would hearten them. I would hug them and I would hearten them. And I would tell them, no, this is not true. U.S. Constitution, 14th Amendment, and I'll narrate uh, the Equal Protection of Law Clause to them. And I said, this is just because of the politics and all of this. So we were heartening these kids. And I would then ask a few days later, I'll call their parents, I'll say, are they doing their homework? Are they going back to school? Most of them would say, no, they don't even eat well. And we are worried they're not sleeping well. And they have taken this uh, to their heart. And uh, uh, so I would speak with them. Let me talk to them over the Mm -hmm. phone. And I'll try to uh, hearten them. And uh, uh, so this is is taking place when I'm speaking with James King. And uh, James King publishes that article and the uh, Democratic National Conventions Committee picks up that article, and I receive a call that uh, uh, we are preparing for uh, a semi-annual convention or conference in Minneapolis, and uh, we wish to pay tribute to Captain Himayun Khan. Do you have any objection? I said no. So they prepare a, a two-minute tribute to Captain Himayun Khan where Hillary Clinton narrates part of the words that I had uttered about uh, then-candidate and his threats. Uh, And uh, uh, so we receive a link a few days later that this is the uh, tribute that we have prepared. Do you have any objection? I said, no, no objection at all. A few weeks later, we receive a call that uh, we have invited other Gold Star families to the convention Uh, Would you like to come? And uh, something, we have not been political. We have voted, but we have not been uh, uh, making speeches or supporting candidates or or, 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 
other things. Uh, we have had our favorite politician, presidents, and uh, and and others. All in one party or another party? Uh, uh, no, all in uh, looking back after. Uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, we have been uh, uh, in on the side of Democrats mm-hmm. because their values and their uh, their programs and platforms uh, matched our values, and mm-hmm. uh, 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 so uh, so I but, said, could we think for a day? Yeah, they I said, bet. okay, let let us know day after tomorrow. And uh, so I talked to Ghazala, I said, I got this call, and they are saying that if we would like to come when they pay tribute, they are paying tribute to other Gold Star members and their families are present. And she said, uh, we really have not been part of the noise and and all of this. Uh, You think we should? I said, let's talk to our kids. We talked to them, and they said, no, this is not your cup of tea. Do not go, please. Your reputation, your peace, your comfort, everything will be maligned. This is the advice from our other two sons in Charlottesville. I thought they're being overprotective. Let me talk to some other folks that are a little more savvy in this business. They said exactly the same thing, that we know your temperament. We know how you have lived and how you wish to live in peace and private and all of this. Please don't go. And uh, on personal side, those kids and their parents and their questions and their concerns are in my mind. And Ghazala and I are sitting on the second day and we are about to call yes or no to DNC uh, convention committee. And uh, I said, what should we do? And she said, uh, just let's call them. Let's not be part of this noise. This is, we will continue to do our part privately and quietly to hearten these kids. So, uh, and then she looks outside. We live in in in, in Charlottesville, yes, at, uh, at the southern end of Carter Mountain, under the grace of Monticello. And so she sees the 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 mail truck go by. She said the mailman just went by. I said, okay, let me go and uh, check the mail. So coincidental. I go to check the mail, and then we will call uh, them, and we will tell them that we really uh, are appreci- we appreciate your inviting, but we will not be able to come. So I go and I open the mailbox and I pick up the mail, and I am out of curiosity looking at at the bottom of the mail was a white envelope, no stamp, just Mr. And Mrs. Khan, and uh, um, sealed. So somebody must have come to place it. And so out of curiosity, I'm holding the mail in one hand and open the envelope with the second hand and look at the card. It's a small card with four names on it. Fifth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, sixth grade, and the name. And there is a sentence. It says, Mr. and Mrs. Khan, would you make sure that Maria is not thrown out of this country? We love her. She's our friend. She's a good student. I read it and uh, walked back to living room and showed it to Azala. I said, you know, we are people of faith. Mm-hmm. We believe in prayer and guidance and all of this. Showed it to her. I said, remember, we had been praying that some guidance should come. She looks at it. I was 100% thinking that she's a little more wiser and more <laughs> balanced like Himayun, uh, deliberate and all that, she's going to say to me that, uh, no, let's just call them and tell them we cannot participate in this. She looks at me and she says, call them. Tell them we will come. And, and we will go. And, and, and you did. And, and maybe the most memorable uh, moment in that whole convention was your speech with your wife standing next to you clearly clearly uncomfortable uh, and uh, as 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 most people would be in that situation and you taking your constitution out of your pocket which you carry with you and challenging Donald Trump as to whether he had ever read the constitution offering to lend him Yours was that something that you did spontaneously? 
Uh, since passing of Captain Himayun Khan, we used to um, uh, give uh, at the graduation, at the commissioning ceremony at Army ROTC to every commissioning cadet, uh, Senator McCain's book, Why Courage Matters. And the reason for that book and that connection was that that was the last book I sent to Himayun in Iraq to read, Senator McCain's Why Courage Matters. I read it and I found it awe-inspiring and I sent it to him and he read it. And he mentioned to me because I asked him over the phone, did you read Senator McCain's book? He said, yeah, I got it and my friends are reading it. It's a wonderful book. Thank you for sending it. Uh, so I used to give that book as a token of our appreciation of them joining and taking the oath to serve the nation uh, as military officers. I used to give that book. So we did that for first few years. I used to take about 20, 25, 22 copies of it. Uh, I would buy them and take them to Senator McCain's office, leave it in his office with the names of the cadets. And he was so kind, so kind. He would inscribe and he would sign each and every cadet's name and his signature and best wishes for commissioning and for serving and all of this. And this went on for several years. Uh, and uh, and it was getting a little expensive because the number of cadets joining commissioning was growing and it was 30 now. I thought there has to be a cheaper way to appreciate <laughs> and acknowledge. So I was renewing my American Bar Association membership, and I saw on the advertisement on their page, U.S. Constitution, 99 cents. <laughs> I said, this I can afford. <laughs> so I ordered. Since then, I've been keeping a copy of, uh, of it in my pocket. And the reason for that is that the, every time there would be guests from overseas or even local guests, and we would talk about Declaration of Independence, the grievances, and especially the grievance number seven, this, our forefathers complaining about the lake of immigration, uh, because what immigrants bring to, uh, to, to, to this country. And uh, uh, so anyway, so I used to keep one in my pocket, and I would show it proudly, share it, Instead of just talking, I would read the 14th Amendment, the First mm -hmm. Amendment. And uh, uh, so I had been keeping that, that version. That version now sits in uh, Virginia Historical Society's uh, uh, making of Virginia section. There is a yeah, because that became a historic <laughs> moment. So uh, w go ahead and make your... So I, I just want to uh, end that uh, conversation. So that was the reason I had that constitution in my pocket. I always kept it in my coat pocket. The original uh, sentence in this speech was not, uh, I lend you my copy, not at all. It was, you have not read the Constitution of the United States. If you read it, look for the word liberty and equal protection of law and all that. And that's that. So now we are in Philadelphia. The cab has come to pick us up, take us to the commission, uh, to the convention. And uh, the last thing I put on is my coat. And uh, we were told not to bring any keys or any metal things. And so I am mm -hmm. checking my, uh, I feel a bulge in my coat pocket, left side. And uh, I see that the constitution is in my pocket. So now we are in the elevator, getting in the cab, and I say to Ghazala, I said, Ghazala, I have this constitution in my pocket, and I'm making reference to have you read the United States Constitution. Why don't I pull it out and say, I would lend you my copy, instead of saying, read the Constitution of the United mm -hmm. States. So she said, no. <laughs> she always had been a, 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 a balance in, in, <laughs> in, in, in my life. And she said, no, no, you cannot do this. Let's take permission first. So once we arrive there, we will take permission. But in the meantime, because I had pulled it out, she said, you're pulling it out upside down. It really wouldn't mean much. Make sure we, let's practice. <laughs> we, are, we are in the... So she we came are, around to the idea. We are in the cab, and I am practicing this <laughs> this way or this way or this way. So um, that's when the idea came. We got to the 
green room in the convention hall in the basement and we talk to the producer and a row of other people to help and all that because they take you there to get familiar with the lights and flood and noise and all of that so you don't lose your composure and your senses when you face all of this outside upon the stage so i asked him that this is I have in my pocket. Can I, instead of saying, I would like you to read the Constitution of the United States, um, why don't I just say, I would gladly lend you my copy? And uh, so the producer is standing there, and he comes all the way up here, and he looks at me. Razala is standing here. And he says, Mr. Khan, are you sure you're going to do this? I said, yes. He said, go ahead and do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's smart, that, smart, smart producer. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. he must have been. So um, we we have to wrap up, but you mentioned uh, that you live in Charlottesville. You saw what transpired there and what the president said in response to it. You've seen everything that's passed since uh, the moment that you've made that speech. And yet you uh, you said earlier that you're optimistic about the future. And so I want to ask you as we leave, what about, and you've been, we should point out you've been traveling around the country the last several months, so you've, you've had contact with a lot of people. What makes you so optimistic in, in these very frayed times? Two things, David. We received tons of wonderful, wonderful supporting mail and uh, Every now and then, a bad letter. We have taken precautions to avoid that uh, kind of thing. Uh, One letter that uh, whenever I get tired of, I cannot take this flight to go there or speak there. One letter, 26 pages, written by a Second World War retired army nurse. She tells her story in 25 pages. On 26th page, she writes this, Mr. Khan, continue to speak. Had more people spoken, we could have avoided the Second World War. We could have avoided the atrocities that were committed against our brothers and sisters, against our Jewish brothers and sisters in the Second World War. Continue to speak, even if you're the only one left speaking. It is that 26th page gets me going every time. And I was there. On the 11th of August, I saw with my own eyes and heard with my own ears the chants, the slogans, the guns that were being carried. I was going to get my book in Charlottesville Mm -hmm. that I heard this noise and I thought maybe there is a traffic jam or something. We stopped and I saw people standing outside their cars. Then when the procession came, everyone went back in their cars and I heard the chants. I had my windows rolled. We were told because of the familiarity people recognize on the street. So I lowered the, the, the shade of the car and I slumped in my seat. But I could still hear the chants. And the only thought that came to me then and comes to me today, we left those chats and that ugliness in Second World War, we buried our men and women, thousands of them died to bury that ugliness, that division, that hatred in Europe. How dare they have made it to the streets of Charlottesville, how they have made it to United States. This cannot go on, this cannot go on. This nation knows itself. That is why I implore every American to read your founding documents. If you are, if you have plenty of time and resources, read the Federalist Papers. I have read them. I'm rereading them all, 75 of them Federalist Papers and 75 Anti-Federalist Papers to become aware of the history, the journey that this nation has traveled. 231 years of this remaining beacon of hope for the rest of the world. How dare this division, this tribalism has made its way back in in, 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 in in United States. It is that that gives me that scene on the 11th of August, the evening of 11th of August, and the 26th page of that Second World War nurse's letter keeps me moving that we must continue to speak. This cannot 
go on for too long. I know the DNA of this nation. This is this is one of the best nation, best country in the world. It must get back on its path to uplift the mankind. Read the read the Bill of Rights. I call that document as enshrined with human dignities because I have lived without those dignities. I remember the day I took oath of citizenship. I paused outside the courtroom and said to myself something about to happen, about to change. When you take the oath, you become U.S. citizen. You will become a whole human being. The dignities that will be enshrined on you, you have never had those up until this very moment. And when I received that green certificate of citizenship, I looked at it to my Weld eyes, it didn't say certificate of citizenship and naturalization, it said certificate of dignity. And that is what uh, it must be told, it must be shared, it must be said, so that we can get back to the uplifting the mankind, being the beacon of hope for the rest of the world, for the humanity. Well, Mr. Khan, uh, let me say, you are a great American, and I thank you for your voice, and I thank you and your family for their sacrifices, and I'm honored to be with you. Again, David, thank you. Thank you for your service, for Susan's service, for your family's service. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Axe Files, part of the CNN Podcast Network. For more episodes of The Axe Files, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. For more programming from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics, visit politics.uchicago.edu. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.